And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And uh, welcome in to a Saturday edition of the bat around on this January the 4th. Uh, we thank you for tuning in. The guys that are mentioned at the top there are myself and Craig Heist. Craig Heist will not be in today. I'll be flying solo, uh, but I wouldn't be able to fly solo without the good work of Paul Valley, who sits here. Paul, welcome in. Thanks for having me in again today, Stan. Happy to be here. All right. Uh, good New Year's for you. Yeah, it was pretty uneventful. We kind of just laid low. I had to work at the restaurant, so not too much going on. All right. We hope uh, you have a healthy, happy New Year. All right, and we are here to talk some baseball. Let me run down the guest list today because uh, whenever I'm going to be in here by myself and the fact we can't take quote-unquote phone calls, uh, we'd like to get the uh, show uh, lined up. Starting us off in about seven or eight minutes, Mickey Cucciello, you know him from 98 Rock fame. He is now the MC or host of live entertainment at the Baltimore Blast Games. Mickey will be doing that tonight, and we'll talk to Mickey for a couple minutes about tonight's game against the Florida Tropics at CQ Arena. It starts at 6.05. We'll talk to him about an unlikely start for the first eight games of the season. The Blast sit at just 4-4. Four and four. They've hired a new VP and general manager and Gianni Tuminello will talk to um, uh, Mickey about that uh, and uh, get you set up for tonight's game. 10:20, my friend Joe Tressa from MLB.com. He's the Orioles beat writer. We'll find out if he's gotten more than he uh, bargained for in taking the Orioles assignment last year when offered it offered to him. Uh, we'll find out about how he feels about the rebuild and how it's going right now. 1045, good friend, original co-host on the show, Adam Gladstone, joins us. He is leaving for Israel this coming week. He's the general manager. I think he's now the general manager. He was assistant general manager when Team Israel played in the World Baseball Class a couple years back. They are readying themselves to play in the Olympics, which are not – the Olympics aren't this summer, are they? They're, yeah, they're, they're 2020. 2020. That's right. They're, they're, so he's readying the team to play a series of exhibition games. Where are the Olympics this year? Do you oh, know? Man, I, I want to say Tokyo, but I, I, I think I'm God. off. All right. Well, we'll figure that out in just a couple of minutes. Anyway, Adam Gladstone is going to join us uh, because he's sort of getting together almost a barnstorming tour of games this spring. Um, along the East Coast and the Middle Atlantic, I believe. Uh, anyway, Adam Gladstone will join us at 1045 at 1105. Bill Latson, the columnist of MLB.com, joins us. He's now a regular contributor to the show. At 1120, we'll get a quick call in with Craig Heist to talk about what's going on with the Nationals, who in uh, short order the last two days have signed Will Harris, Starlin Castro, Ex-Oriole David Hernandez 
And uh, now we know that uh, Josh Donaldson has really set his uh, price. Um, and we know that he wanted to go for four years. He's now hoping to exceed $25 million a year and level in there $27.5 million per year, roughly, uh, over a four-year term. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, the teams that, are, that we know are very involved are the Nationals, the Twins, and the team he played for this past season, the Atlanta Braves. The Dodgers, who have a lot of money, are lurking on the outside. They've done nothing yet this offseason other than sign Blake Trinan to a one-year $10 million contract. You can say, and a lot of the baseball experts are saying this, uh, and Paul, feel free to jump in here, but a lot of people are saying the Dodgers. They don't have to do anything, and they're going to win their division. But is that all that uh, general manager Andrew Friedman is trying to do with the Dodgers? Uh, you have to think that they, they've won the division, what, seven, eight years seven in a row? Years seven in a row, seven yeah. years in a row. You have to think that that's not enough. They won 106 games last year, and they got eliminated by the Nationals. This team needs to get to a World Series, and they need to win a World Series. They've been there. They keep losing. Yep. Yep. They have not won a World Series since back in Oriole times. Uh, 1988, Kirk Gibson's home run in Game 1 of the World Series. I think it was Game 1 off of Dennis Eckersley. Uh, set the tone of that series, and I think they beat the A's in five games that year. But they have not won a World Series in 31 years. It's nice that they've won seven division titles in a row. It's nice that they've gone to two World Series of the last three, but it would seem like they'd, they'd want to build on what they have, uh, and yet with all the money they have, they are going kind of very conservatively. Josh Donaldson certainly would be one way of not having to give up any prospects, just money, uh, and changing the dynamic of that team. Well, and Justin Turner has showed a willingness to go back over to second base, where if you recall with the Orioles, that's where he started at second base and then went along with the Mets. If you have a guy like that that's willing to move over to second base and you can sign Donaldson, and Donaldson's no spring chicken. He's in his early to mid-30s. He's 34. He's 34, 34 years old. But that's a guy who's an impact bat that you can get in the middle of your lineup. I think that's a move that they probably should make if they want to get back there. It's interesting. Uh, there's talk that Turner would go to second or to first because, remember, they got Max Muncy, uh, who is a really dangerous left-handed hitting bat, a uh, lot of power. Uh, and I think his best position is really first base. Turner's is probably first or third, but uh, they're going to have if they make a move like this, the Donaldson move. Uh, you got to believe that uh, Turner's going to move over uh, across the uh, across the diamond. Um, anyway, Bill Latson, Craig Heist is on at eleven twenty and eleven thirty five or thereabouts. Yankee historian and the author of over 20 books on Yankees and Yankee history, Marty Appel is going to join us, uh, and Marty, I contacted him. Um, he knew and, and uh, worked with Don Larson a lot uh, when he was a Yankee PR representative, so Marty Appel is going to join us uh, at 1135. He knew Don Larson very well, who passed away. Uh, just a couple days ago, Don Larson, of course, the only perfect game in postseason, the only no-hitter in postseason. Uh, actually, I take that back. It's the only perfect game in postseason history. 
Uh, we do have one other no-hitter that I got mixed up with the other day on Masson. Roy Halladay pitched a no-hitter in a playoff game against the Cincinnati Reds, uh, but that was not a perfect game. Speaking of perfect, uh, perfect match between uh, talent, humor, personality, and the Baltimore Blast games, the MC and host of live entertainment at the games, Mickey Cucciello, joins us right now. Mickey, how are you? Happy New Year. Hey, Stan. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. That was way too kind of an introduction, my friend. Well, what, did I, what was way too kind about it? All those compliments. All right. All right. <laughs> Using the word perfect, I guess. All right. Just like the president uses it about the perfect phone call. Anyway, right. Anyway, we'll move on from that. Hey, this is a lot of excitement tonight. 6.05. You can break away from having watched one game probably get the second half of the second football game and catch a Baltimore Blast game that starts at 6.05 at CQ. Um, these are not usual times for the Baltimore Blast. They've played eight games, and they are only at 500, Mickey. Yeah, it was a, uh, we had a rough trip to Florida. Uh, you know, it, I, I, honestly, Stan, I think it was a, uh, I think it's an anomaly. I, I, I don't, you know, watching the team play last week. I was at practice yesterday. I mean, they're it's a top-notch team, and it's, you know, in my opinion, the best team in the league. And I think it was just a weird anomaly, a bad weekend that put them in this position. Um, and I think the rest of the year, the, you won't see that again. It, it, such just poor play. I mean, there really is no other well, that's desire. What, that's I mean, no... It, Desire was the thing that I think they were lacking. That's what we're used to with the Baltimore Blast being the number one team. I looked at the standings, though, Mickey. Uh, the, the the Blast, and I won't call them problems, but the fact that they're 500 after eight games, and I look around and see a bunch of teams at 5-1 and one or 6-1, and one, this league has gotten a lot better, it looks like. Oh, well, the league has definitely gotten better. I mean, the quality of player is uh is better i think the coaching is finally uh spread evenly through the team i think the, the that that it is a much more balanced league than it used to be and um it's it's there there's no gimmies in 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 this game anymore and and i think the blast proved that going down to florida and 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 playing one team that's not even in the league anymore and uh and just like I said, Stan, I think the team took it for granted yep. and wasn't really ready, and and that showed in the results. Mickey, tell me a little bit about the new VP and general manager Gianni Tuminelli. What do we need to know about him? Gianni is a. I mean this. I've known Gianni for twenty five years, and he is a great guy. He is uh, passionate and and completely engulfed in in the blast culture uh always has been you can't stump the guy if you ask him anything from the time he was alive uh about the baltimore blast he knows it players i couldn't even remember he's bringing them up and giving me specifics on them his passion is second to none and he he's a he's a great guy and i think that he's uh in the couple weeks he's been there there's just a, a culture difference already in the office it's fun to be in there, and it's it's really it's really interesting to watch grow. 
Now, he is the vice president and general manager of the team, correct? So any transactions made, moves uh, on the field are going to be handled by him in consort with uh, with Coach? Well, yes. I mean, obviously, he's involved in that process. But I think the big difference lately has been the uh, sort of active involvement of Ed Hale, who has for years allowed the team to be run under him. Mm-hmm. And his involvement was sort of, uh, a conscientious observer, for lack of a better term. Um, but I think now he is much more active and into what's happening day to day. Tell us a little bit about this Florida team that comes in tonight. And Florida right now is, what the heck's their record? Wait a minute. I'm uh, somehow miss. Oh, they're six and one. They're at the top of the division. That's why they. Florida were the is. Top. This team is a great team. They have a great ownership. Uh, very focused. They have some incredible talent on that team. Stand that I think, uh, really, is a good matchup tonight. Um, I think that's why the ticket sales reflect it. Um, the game is, I believe, sold out. Um, and they are what the really what the blast are. I mean, they're top notch, well coached, well owned, um, just a great organization. And they they travel hard. I mean, when they, they mentally they're home every game, mm-hmm. and and they want to put on a great show and 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 give the fans what they came to see, which is a lot of scoring and hard defending. All right, the game time tonight is six oh five. And I want to remind folks that this is the the home game uh, tonight. You will have about a two-week uh, wait to, to see the Blast again, a little over two weeks again. Uh, they will yeah. play on January 20th at 2.05 in the afternoon. Now, that's a Thursday afternoon game. Can you talk a little bit about what's behind that? Well, am I wrong, or is, is that, that a more? Monday game? Uh, it was a Monday game. I'm sorry. It is a Monday yeah, game. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, well, that game was originally scheduled for the Sunday. Right. And uh, we decided to move it based on the AFC Championship game. Okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so N- that's why said. we moved it. And we're going to be honoring, in fact, that is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which okay. is why we're doing a Monday 205. Kids are off school. Okay. Uh, a lot of people off work, and we figured let's try to do something in a, in a window there where we can uh, get to some people because look, we know Stan, as much as we love indoor soccer and it's yeah. the most important game in the world to us, it's not to everyone, especially when you're competing with maybe the best Ravens team any of us have ever seen. That's a good point. Good point, Mickey. Then, then you come home again, the following, is it a Friday or Saturday, the 25th versus the San Diego soccers. And that's always been a big game. Well, San Diego is, like Baltimore, an historic franchise. Uh, Stan, when I was a kid, I'm going back to 1980, 81, uh, the San Diego Soccers and the Baltimore Blast were, uh, that rivalry is amazing. Um, San Diego just had some incredible players, legends of the league, uh, and they won championships. Yeah, and they and, were they were coached by the only guy that uh, might have been a little better or the equal of Kenny Cooper, and that was Ron Newman, and they named the award after him, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And 
you know, he was just, uh, he was a pioneer in that game um, and understood it early, like uh, Coach Cooper as well. Because yeah. you got to remember, Stan, this, that game was invented. It didn't develop. Right. Um, it was just invented. They, they, they took a hockey ring and put carpet on it and said, we're going to play soccer in the wall you're allowed to bounce it off of. And you know, the Brazilians have futsal, which is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you see so many Brazilian players now in the league because uh, of that. But, yes, I mean, that San Diego game, I'm probably more excited about that than any other game on the schedule this year. All right, so that's your blast for January. They play tonight at 6.05 on Mo- Monday, the 20th of January at 2.05. That's Martin Luther King Day. And then right. on Saturday, the 25th, they host San Diego. You mentioned something regarding a sellout. Is tonight's game sold out? I believe I believe it is. And the last I heard was that uh, we we were sold out. All I right. don't. All right. I, I haven't seen the official email yet, but I, I would be safe to say we are sold out. All right. Mickey, we really appreciate your coming on. And uh, we'll it's grab you. It's my pleasure. And we'll thank grab you for you. having me. We'll grab you and uh, – in front of that San Diego game on the 25th, all right? That sounds great, pal. All right, talk to you soon. Happy, healthy New Year to you. All right, thanks, and same to you guys. Thanks, Dan. Uh, all right, there you go, Mickey Cucciello, uh, Cucciella of the Baltimore Blast. He's your in-game host and uh, entertainment at Baltimore Blast games. And, again, tonight's game, he seems to think is a sellout. Uh, boy, I would hate if it's not a sellout. Um just hang on one second there, because right, I wanted to get a couple spots, read a couple spots, and tell folks uh, a little bit of the setup of the show. Um, hour one, parts of this program are brought to you by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps engine extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Hey, there's a postseason version a version of Project Game Day on tap next week as Glenn Clark is with you at halftime Saturday night. That's a week from today. Uh, Ken Zalis is going to join him post-game following the divisional round matchup. You can watch and react with both shows at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and listen to the post-game show at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill, Costas Inn, Glen Burnie Transmissions, and Wise Markets. We'll see you next Saturday. That's the 11th for Project Game Day. Uh, and then we'll tell you at all, again, no Project Game Day this weekend, but there is one next Saturday, both at halftime and after the game. Hey, live casino hotels, brand new music venue, The Hall at Live is open and is going to host lots of world-class entertainment in 2020. Spend Valentine's Day with Soulful Grammy Award winner Jill Scott, who headlines the hall at Live on February the 14th. Doors open at 8 p.m. Tickets start at just $43.99, and they're available now at LiveCasinoHotel.com. Other great shows coming to the hall at Live this year include Squeeze on February 29th, OAR, March 14th, Adam Sandler, March 19th, Air Supply, Adam, April 3rd, Air Supply, April 3rd, Josh Groban, April 16th, Patti LaBelle, May the 2nd, and Gabriel Iglesias, August 22nd. Get your tickets now by going to livecasinohotel.com. 
Sportsbook.com, and we are broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. And joining us right now is a good friend, uh, MLB.com's O's beat writer, Joe Trezza. Joe, how are you? Happy, healthy New Year to you. Hey, Stan. Happy New Year to you. Happy holidays. How's everything going? Everything's going uh, honky-dory. Honky-dory. <laughs> Uh, probably better than we assume that the Orioles are doing right now at Honky Dory. Let me ask you a question. When you you were covering, I forget, was it the Marlins or the Cardinals before you took the Orioles job? It was the Cardinals. It was the Cardinals. You got offered the Orioles job when Brittany decided to leave MLB.com. Did you, do you think you bargained for exactly what you're covering right now? <laughs> Um, well, I had a few uh, options of when, when when it came to teams and, and cities that they were going to send me to. Um, it kind of just it kind of just happened that that Baltimore was the best option for me um, in, in my particular situation. And um, look, I, I think I went into it with eyes open in terms of um, you know the, what type of team it was going to be, and uh, you know where in the competitive cycle that they that they were at at the time, and and where they are now. So um, you know. Part of the, honestly, part of the the reason for for being excited about covering the team was uh, to cover a team that is in this part of a competitive cycle and to um, see what kind of goes into it from an organizational level. And we saw a lot of that last year um, with all the restructuring and the reshaping, um, and you know the the new personnel coming in and the new philosophies being implemented. And um, you know that was really interesting to me. And I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, in 2020, uh, I think we're going to see more of um, those philosophies, um, maybe not being introduced, but maybe being more streamlined with the people that are already there. And I think that's exciting, and the, I think the organization is really this year going to um, get a little bit more of uh, it's, it's going to solidify a little bit this new identity that it wants to have. Um, so, so and I think that's going to be the more interesting thing than what happens on the field a lot of the time. So let me ask you a question: <clears throat> You get paid to cover games. You don't buy tickets, nor do I, but you, you get paid to cover the team. It's sort of an intellectual sort of pursuit for, for us in the media to say this is exciting. What can fans grab a hold of and say is exciting to them about, a, you know, a, it's almost like watching paint dry in a sense uh, because you know the wins and losses are going to be skewed the, the wrong way. Yeah, I think this year the fans are going to start to get excited about um, that new wave of prospects that that's going to be coming up in the next few years. Um, look, it's not it's not the the, the the 2019 draft class. You know, it's not the Abby Rutschmans and, and 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 those types of players, but it is a group of players that fans have been hearing about for a long time. Um, it is Ryan Mountcastle. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement about him uh, once camp breaks and 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 as the spring kind of progresses. You're going to have a guy like Keegan Aiken, who teams are, uh, who fans have been uh, hearing about for a while, with a chance to win a rotation spot. You're going to have a guy like Dean Kramer, who came over in the Manny Machado trade. You know, maybe he wasn't the headliner in that trade, but just being a part of a, a, of a deal like that brings you some name recognition and and it, it adds a certain level of excitement. You know, he has a chance to be in the big leagues at some point this year. I think over the next few years. Fans are really going to have to focus, if they want to get excited, on those young players and who's coming up and who's new and who's fresh and seeing how they can establish themselves in the majors. This year you're going to get kind of the first wave of that, along with Austin Hayes. 
right? I think last year, at the end of the year, seeing what Austin Hayes and Hunter Harvey did um, in August and September is exactly what I'm talking about. And last year, there were two examples. This year, there may be, if you include those guys, more like four, five, or six. Let me ask you about one player who, and again, the Orioles are not an organization that historically has said, wow, look what we have coming up. Uh, You know, they've kind of let the players and their performance do the talking. And I'm talking about Chance Sisko now. This is a player who any objective observer that's detached from the Orioles would look at his minor league numbers and say, don't know anything about him as a catcher, but boy, his, his numbers offensively project to at least being a solid major league producer. Do you think it's too late for him to still reach that level of being a solid contributor on this team? I know this offseason he's supposedly doing some sort of body reshaping work to get stronger, and he's working with a facility, uh, you know, uh, an academy, which uh, a lot of players are doing these days. What about Chance Sisko's immediate future? Yeah, I think there are a lot of people in the organization that would say that that he has quite a few steps to take to, yeah. to reach that ceiling and reach that potential, right? And I think they're trying to unlock that from him. Um, two things I would say on this point. One is that uh, he has the kind of offensive skill set that tends to translate pretty well over time, right? It's very mm-hmm. on-base percentage-based. Yep. Um, you know, there, there, there's some power there, but he has plate discipline, and he had kind of an advanced approach at the plate. Um, for, for a younger player in the minor leagues. That's not typically the kind of thing that just goes away once you hit the major leagues. Now there are also a lot of competing factors with the sense that uh, his defense kind of needs so much work. And I think that oftentimes um, the the work there kind of assumes the lion's share of his of of, of what he of, of, of his mental not capacity but but you know his mind is on the defensive stuff a lot during the games and a lot, of, a lot of times when players are struggling at the plate, they take it into the field. I think Chance sometimes struggles in the field, and he takes it to the plate, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's um, that's a big kind of factor in, in the, the second-half slump we saw from him last year offensively. Um, and the second thing that I would say about that is that you mentioned um, that his minor league numbers projected him, him being at least a, an average or above yeah. offensive catcher. If you look at the uh, around the league right now, you know the bar's kind of low for that kind of thing. Yeah, you know the, the the numbers for a competent or average or above major league catcher these days are not what you would really imagine they would be for say a third baseman or a shortstop or a first baseman, and that's always kind of been true. Um, but it's been more emphatically true the last five, six, seven years or so, um, especially as the league has gone really more towards like a platoon. Normal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look around the league, there are only maybe four or five full-time major league catchers. Almost every other team uses a platoon. So, do I think that Chancisco could be an effective offensive player against right-handed pitching as he gets older in the major leagues? Yes, absolutely. And that kind of is the definition for an average to above-average major league catcher right now. Um, and that being said, uh, I would have to say yes, he could probably do that. Um, but there is a lot of work to be done on both sides of the ball. And I think the Orioles are trying to unlock that this year. Let me ask you a question. Uh, <clears throat> Rock Kabatko, uh, who covers the team for MassInSports.com, did a piece the other day on uh, Renato Nunez 
and whether we'll see him in the field anymore this year. And then I was on Masson yesterday with the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, and that was one of our talking points in a, in a segment on the show was whether or not Nunez can get in the field. It seems to me the whole reason this topic is being brought up is because if he is locked in at designated hitter uh, totally, it, it means that when Ryan Mountcastle is really knocking the door down to come up to the major leagues, where the heck are they going to put him uh, unless they, they finalize a position for him? Uh, am I seeing the, the forest for the trees there that Nunez playing at least some third base uh, would open up the designated hitter slot in Mountcastle's rookie season, say June or July? Yeah, I, I do think they're going to have to siphon off some at-bats for, for Mountcastle at DH, um, at least immediately. They have yeah. to do, they have to find some way to unclog um, that mass of, you know, uh, corner-slash-bat-first players that they have with Trey Mancini, Chris Davis, Renato Nunez, even Anthony Santander kind of applies. Um, you know, there's they're just a lot of those types, even without Mark Trumbo, just for one roster to be able to with withhold um look i think that all things being equal um ryan mountcastle will get priority and precedent in that lineup when he's ready and that means um you know they will find at bats for him if it comes at the expense of a renato nunez it comes at the expense of a renato nunez if it comes at the expense of a chris davis it comes at the expense of a chris davis um i still think there are a lot of moving parts here right a trade for Trey Mancini would totally yeah. blow up the roster in a way. You know, it would it would totally change the change the dynamic. Um, it would free up a lot of at bats. You know, DJ Stewart is supposed to be in the mix in right field. He has an ankle injury now that complicates things for him. You know, one of these guys goes down with an injury, and suddenly there's 400 at bats waiting for Ryan Mountcastle. You know, kind of wherever he wants them. Um, but I think the larger issue in it, that you hit on is the correct one to focus on, um, and that is. Mountcastle's long-term defensive home. I think the Orioles are quite concerned um, about that. I think they thought he was going to translate a little better to first base and the corner outfield than he did, at least originally. Um, the issue with Mountcastle is not his athleticism. Um, you know, it's not his desire or his work ethic. It's really his arm. That was why mm-hmm. he really couldn't stick on the, on the left side of the infield. So I think if they could find a place where they mitigate the concerns with his arm, and he hits enough to where his his limits, his range limits, aren't something that concerns the club, and they kind of supersede those. Um, but I think they'll be happy there. I don't think they ever think that he'll be a plus defender, um, but I think they they feel that they can hide him um, at least at one spot, possibly two. And if they increase his versatility, that increases their chances of doing so. So I think they're going to try him out a lot of different places this year, especially in the spring. I think we're going to see him in left field. I think we're going to see him in right field. I think we're going to see him at second base every now and yep. then, just yep. because why not? Um, we're going to see him at second He's going to be this kind of modern bat-first player that doesn't necessarily have a position but plays all of them. Right, and I think I think he's a perfect example of that. It's kind of a head scratcher, but that's kind of where the game is right now. We're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. Our guest on the batter round is Joe Tressa, and Joe, my producer Paul Valley, uh, has a question for you. Hey, okay, Joe, how Paul. you how you doing, man? 
Hey, Paul, what's happening? Not too much. So we're talking about all these offensive players like Chan Sisko and Ryan Mountcastle and where they might fit into the Orioles' plans. But none of that really matters if you don't have pitching. And we have or Chris Tillman, it's come out in the last week or so that he has that he's going to be putting on a showcase for other teams. Now, we all know he was the ace of this staff for several years. Uh, came down, came up with some shoulder issues. Apparently, he had all, he had surgery back in June on his right labrum. Is this something the Orioles need to kick the tires on, or and do their due diligence, or has that ship uh, has that ship sailed? No, I think they need to do their due diligence and kick the tires on every possible pitching option that they have. Um, I think you know a reunion with Chris Tillman is is not out of the cards. You know, we saw last year that they're very comfortable taking a flyer on. Um, a veteran with some injury concerns in Nate Carnes. We also saw how that works out. You know, um, I think a reunion with Andrew Kashner could potentially be in the cards. Again, none of this is concrete, but they need to explore um, depth options every single place that they can because um, really outside of Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, none of these signings are going to be um, blocking anybody and or, or, or standing in the way of any prospects and right now after the deal for uh, after the trading of Dylan Bundy you know after with all the insecurity without uh, all, with all the uncertainty I'm sorry surrounding Alex Cobb um, the fact that the Orioles really two best rotation depth options are two rule five picks um, look on paper they have eight rotation candidates and that's what they said they wanted at the winter meetings eight candidates come spring but it's if you define it this way, it's really, um, it's really a bit shaky. I really do think they're going to have to add at least one more arm into the mix, um, you know, before camp breaks, possibly even two, just so they have the kind of depth that can get them through uh, a 162 game season. If you remember last year, in the middle of the summer, they were scrambling almost nightly at one point for about three weeks straight, every single night, scrambling with the 40 man roster scrambling with the bullpen, scrambling for pitching. Um, you know, there was that, that one game in, in June, I believe, with, with Luis Ortiz and the Red Sox. He didn't get called up until the morning of um, because he was just the last guy available. They didn't have a starter in the whole organization except him. You know, they, they can't find themselves in those kind of positions again, um, no matter where on the competitive spectrum and cycle that they are. And I think last year kind of solidified that fact for them. So, look, I do think they're going to go out, take a flyer on maybe one or two more arms. I was a little surprised uh, with the Cole Stewart signing, although it makes sense now given his age and his, mm-hmm. you know, the upside he had just not so long ago. Um, but I do think one of the arms that they add will be a veteran type, you know, somebody who they can maybe rely on to eat some innings. Um, you know, Chris Tillman, if he's healthy, probably fills that mode. Um, but I, I think the Orioles are going to have to have to see if he is first. You you mentioned uh, Andrew Kashner, and Kashner, if you look over his career, uh, not a lot to love about Andrew Kashner, but the two best seasons he's had in the big leagues have been last season, at least his Oriole portion of the season, and a couple of years ago with Texas, and both times his pitching coach was Doug Brocal. Um, what do you think it would take to get Kashner off his sofa and be engaged to pitch for the Orioles. Are we looking at a three million dollar deal? Does it have to be more than that? You know, I, I honestly I'm not really sure about the numbers, but I do think um, that the opportunity 
to kind of uh, assume a leadership role in the clubhouse would appeal to Andrew Kashner again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if the Orioles really do want to reunite with him, that that would be the selling point there. Um, it would be, hey, look, you have a good relationship with Brandon Hyde. Um, you have a good relationship with these young guys. You enjoyed being here. You enjoyed being that guy um, that had a loud voice in the clubhouse, whether you know whether it was a voice that... Um, that everybody was a fan of or not, it was loud and it did yep. have some, um, you know, it it, it it did have some weight there. And I don't think that Andrew Kasher would be able to find that in a lot of other places. Um, he's had a pretty long career. Yep. He's bounced around a lot. He's played for a lot of different teams. Um, and there are typically reasons why uh, that, that, that players do that. And his, um, you know, has some personality involved in it. And um, I don't think on a veteran team or a playoff contender, you know, his, I don't know, his voice would carry as much weight in a clubhouse uh, as, as it would in Baltimore. Agreed. Uh, so I think that would be kind of a selling point. I really think it's kind of up to him if whether he wants to come back or not. You know, there were, there were whispers about a year ago that he was maybe considering retiring, you know, so, so maybe he doesn't just because of it's just it, and it's just a personal choice. Um, but, hey, if they want some familiarity, they want somebody who uh, probably won't cost them all that much, although he did make $10 million last year. Yeah, um, and they want someone who can eat some innings, and they want someone who's familiar with the environment. Andrew Kastner does fit, you know, at, at least in theory. We're talking with Joe Tressa of MLB.com. He covers the Orioles. Joe, one quick thing about Paul's question on Chris Tillman: the fact that none of the local beat writers, from Rock to Dan to Rich and yourself, really knew the status. I haven't talked to anybody that knew in Baltimore that knew he had had shoulder surgery, the fact that Joel Sherman kind of broke the story on MLB Trade Rumors with a little tweet about it or something, um, does that speak volumes to the fact that he has sort of turned the page on Baltimore? No, I, I think it more speaks to the fact that he hasn't been around in a while. Yeah. You know, maybe the league's a little turned the page on him. Um, uh, look, the guy... Was his age, who throws a showcase, um, he's kind of sending a message out to teams like, hey, I'm still here. Yep. You know, and I, and I think that that, you know, that, that, that's kind of the theme of why, you know, maybe his, uh, his status kind of flew under the radar. You know, we're, we were in a free agent cycle with Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg and these guys reeling in $250 million contracts. And, you know, Chris Tillman hasn't pitched in, in, in a few years now, you know, and, he, and when he did, he wasn't, he wasn't all that good. So um, he hasn't been a factor in a while is, is, is what I'm trying to say. And I think the showcase is a way of kind of, yep. you know, putting his name back out, out there in, in the Twitter sphere and, and putting his, uh, putting himself back on the map for a minute. And Hey, maybe it, maybe it results in a show me deal, you know, with the team and um, somebody's impressed. That's what Nate, happened to Nate Carnes last year, right? If you remember yep. before the Orioles signed him, he had him pitched in all of 2018 he barely pitched in 2017. He hadn't really been healthy since 2014. Um, you know, same kind of thing, I would say. Um, but Nate Cards wasn't—he wasn't really making a lot of news last winter. Um, he was kind of flying under the radar, getting healthy, um, and then pitching for a few clubs. The Orioles happened to be one of them. Yep. Um, and they inked him to a kind of a show-me contract. So I, I feel like that's going to be pretty analogous to the situation this time. Uh, whether that results in Chris Tillman getting one. I'm not sure. I think we'll have to see after the showcase, but 
but I, I do think that's the status of him right now. Hey, last question for you, and we're talking with Joe Tressa of uh, MLB.com, recovers the Orioles. Joe, um, shortstop position. Are we? Is there much ado about nothing, and we're going to end up with Richie Martin at shortstop, or is there a chance that they will find the money uh, and come to a meeting of the minds with, say, a Jose Iglesias or an Adani Echevarria? Yeah, I do think they're going to make a move on that uh, relatively soon, maybe in the next week or two. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure which of those shortstops will be, but I do think they're going to be. Uh, motivated to sign a veteran glove first type, mm-hmm. somebody who brings some stability to an infield right now that is really, really lacking in that department, right? Jonathan VR last year started 162 games at either shortstop or second base. You have to replace that kind of steady mm-hmm. show up and do the job somewhere. Um, and they haven't yet. You know, this, uh, until now, they've really only added utility pieces, someone you can plop in here and there in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons, but not really somebody um, who can cement a position for 162 games up the middle. I do think they're going to make a move on that. Um, I do think that they believe Richie Martin can benefit from more seasoning at AAA, especially on the offensive side. I do think um, that you we will see in January at some point, probably pretty soon, them come to terms with a veteran shortstop. Um, you know, they're, they're really one of the few teams in the market for one. Really, yeah. it's not a really a robust market for shortstops. There aren't that many options out there. Um, we see we've seen lately some contending teams add some bat first bench pieces, bat first bench pieces that play the middle infield, but they don't exactly fit the Orioles' need for a full time shortstop. Um, you know, it, it may be a situation where for a guy like Inglesias or Hechevarria, they're waiting for the market to calm down. Yep. And and at the end of the day, they're kind of bidding against themselves. So I do think they will get something done. Um, and I do think that um, they're going to give Richie Martin kind of a chance to grow into his own a little bit offensively in AAA this year, at least at the start. You know, maybe he's in the big leagues at some other point. Um, they're going to have to use his option anyway. So I could see him in the majors in 2020 probably for longer stretches of time, maybe as a bench option. But um, I do think that they think that the bat needs to be developed a little more. And there is this idea, this sense that maybe spending an entire year in the big leagues last year wasn't the best thing for his development. Um, and that kind of been, that kind of goes against the organizational ethos that they've tried to push yeah. out uh, for the last year or so. So I do think they'll do that. They'll get a stopgap short, shortstop. Um, you know, maybe it'll be a – four or five, six million dollar deal, something like that. Um, and hopefully he can pick it. All right. Joe Tressa, many thanks. You're a good friend. Happy, healthy New Year to you. And we'll see you down in spring training and talk to you around then as well. All right. Dan, thanks for the call. Okay. All right. Have All a right. good one. I'll see you soon. There he goes, Joe Tressa of MLB.com. Hey, this is Stan the Fan for Glen Burnie Transmissions, located right in the heart of Glen Burnie for almost 60 years. If you suspect you're having a transmission problem, GBT can save you hundreds of dollars over taking it to the car dealers for repair. Make an appointment for a free diagnostic and estimate. Call GBT at 855-728-1841. Their mission is simple at GBT, to provide excellent service at a reasonable price. Go to their website at gbt-online.com to check out all the five-star reviews. Let my friend Mark Schwartzman and his GBT team take the troubles 
out of transmission troubles, call them today at 855-728-1841. Baltimore's favorite sports bar, actually their favorite bar, is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Ravens and Cap season. With all the games on dozens of TVs, daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more. With different drink specials every day of the week, join Sliders for the away Ravens games, as well as the home game parties featuring fancy clancy beer, as well as the game day food and drink specials. Find out about all the parties and specials at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Ravens and Caps season with all of the games on dozens of TVs. Daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week. Join Sliders for the away Ravens games as well as the home game parties featuring Fancy Clancy Pilsner as well as game day food and drink specials. Find out about all of the parties and specials at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. Royal Farms is known for being real fresh and real fast, but we're also real Baltimore. That's because Baltimore is our home base and our home. Like purple and black, flamingos and sunglasses, or crabs and Old Bay, our subs are real Baltimore, right down to the name. We make them fresh, delicious, and to your order, all day, every day, at a price that's easy to swallow. Royal Farm subs are another reason why Royal Farms is real fresh, real fast, real Baltimore. Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirts, which recognize how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will you be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's bozemanshirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying with the Most Valuable Protectors. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostaZen.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers a better way to tailgate with football and nuggets. You can now pick up a 30-count Chick-fil-A nugget in a football-shaped container, and if it would be helpful, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can half-cook it, leaving you the opportunity to heat it the rest of the way just in time for your party. And now Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers their three-cheese mac and cheese, cheddar, parmesan, and romano combined in this classic side, baked fresh in the restaurant. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, 410-931-0031, Chick-fil-A, Nottingham Square. 
This is former Turf AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Stand the fan back here and... Uh, Paul, tell me if I'm holding it up good. Does that look okay? Okay. That's our that's our Bozeman that's our Bozeman T-shirt. That's right. Go to that'sbozemanshirt.com. Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new most valuable protector shirt. You just heard about it a minute ago, but I wanted to show it once again to folks out there. Again, the profits to this shirt or the proceeds you'll be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's B-O-Z-E-M-A-N shirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying all at once. All right? Um, We're going to be joined by our guest in just a second, and that's Adam Gladstone, uh, but we'll remind you that we are broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios, and um, we do that every Saturday. We remind you there's no Project Game Day today or tomorrow, but next Saturday at halftime of the Ravens game and post-game Ravens game, Ken Zalis will join Glenn Clark. Glenn Clark back uh, steadily this week, Monday through Friday from 10 to 12, right here in the Live Casino Hotel Studios. Joining us right now for a few minutes is my good friend Adam Gladstone. Adam, how are you? I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and Julie and the kids. Um, let me get something clear, clarified. You are now the general manager or you're still the assistant general manager of Team Israel? I definitely don't want to be the general manager with all the uh, escalating uh, issues in the Middle East. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm very happy still being the assistant GM and flying under the radar, so to speak, and uh, just coordinating everything uh, that the Israel Olympic baseball team needs to do here in the States prior to leaving for Tokyo in July. All right, so we got that clarified. I could not remember I somehow, because I've known you for so long and known your work with the World Baseball Classic, I was thinking that you were doing this for the World Baseball Classic, and I know you had spent some time or, or mentioned it to me on a couple occasions that it was the Olympics. So Israel has qualified to be in the Olympics. Did they have to play through a qualifying round or something oh, to be invited? Yeah, very much so. They, they participated in this past fall in the European qualifiers, which took place in Bulgaria and Italy. And they were able to uh, make their way through. And and really the team, the two teams that probably put up the most fight um, and the ones that people know about were uh, Italy 
as well as the Netherlands. Now, the Netherlands, as we all know, is where you know the Scope brothers play and uh, Didi Gregorius and um, uh, those guys, Andrelton Simmons with the uh, with the Angels, but. They obviously didn't have those guys playing for them in the qualifiers, and neither did this club that, that Israel had. A lot of our guys were, you know, the biggest name guy on, on our club is Danny Valencia. Um, Danny was not with a major league organization last year, so he was able to play. And, um, you know, he, he led these guys, and they're able to win the right amount of games, and uh, they're one of the four teams that have qualified for the upcoming uh, Olympic Games in Tokyo. The other, uh, obviously, Tokyo, and we know what kind of club they always put together as the host country uh, is in, Israel is in, Mexico is in, and then Chinese Taipei is in. And the the final two spots will be, uh, are up for grabs, and there is a qualifying tournament in the Americas in March, and then there's one in Asia as well, and, and the winners of those will be, you know, the fifth and sixth clubs to make it to the Olympics. Uh, I know that uh, from talking to you that you are working now on sort of getting a training camp together and a series of exhibition games. Can you talk a little bit, any details on that to shed uh, or to share with us? Sure. I mean, it's um, we're, the club's going to leave July 22nd or 23rd either out of D.C. or New York. Um, and obviously it depends on, on the best flights for the club to get to Tokyo. That being said, working backwards, we're going to be training in, um, in New York for four or five days. We're then going to be going on the road and playing a game in uh, New Britain, Connecticut, at the former AA ballpark for the, um, uh, I think it was the New, Brick- New Britain uh, Rockhounds. Right. Um, and then... Uh, and then we're going to go. We're going to come back to New York and play in Rockland County at the Rockland County Boulders Ballpark. They're a Frontier League club. Play, uh, play them, and then we're going to head on the road. And we're scheduled to play a game up in Pawtucket, uh, Rhode Island, at the uh, at the AAA Ballpark of the Red Sox. And then from there, we're going to go down to Hartford, Connecticut, and play at the AA Ballpark of the Rockies. Um, and then we're going to also then go a little bit north and go up to the Cape and play in the Cape uh, against uh, the Wareham Gateman, which is actually managed by Jerry Weinstein, who was our manager for the most recent World Baseball Classic Club. And then we're going to have a travel day, and then we're going to head down to this neck of the woods, and we're going to, we're going to end up playing in Bethesda uh, against the Bethesda Big Train. And then we have a game scheduled to, uh, to be played at the Harrisburg Senators Ballpark. Uh, Stan, you were instrumental in helping to make that connection with uh, Mark Butler, and, and the, obviously the very late, the late Mark Butler. Late I can't, Mark can't, Butler. I'm still in I'm uh, still in shock about losing Mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but I mean, just to go to show you how how far baseball stretches and is important. You know, I, through you, I spoke to Mark just before the uh, Thanksgiving holiday, and he connected me with his president of his club up in Harrisburg, and we connected after the holiday. And um, as soon as uh, we connected, he informed me, unfortunately, of Mark's passing. And, but he also said, listen, I want you to know that the last conversation I had with Mark was about the Israel uh, Olympic team coming up and participating in our ballpark. And, and I, it was important to him. So yeah. Yeah. we're going to do everything we can. And then, and then after that game in Harrisburg, we're actually going to look at 
um, we're actually tentatively scheduled to play the U.S. Olympic team if they qualify mm-hmm. um, at the Naval Academy. If if once again they qualify. All right. Uh, you also, it's interesting. You made the connection. I made the connection with you with the late Mark Butler, uh, but you had a connection with Dan Duquette, and that played out to help you facilitate the game in Pawtucket. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm in, in your relation too with uh, with uh, Doctor Charlie, yep. um, as Dan likes to as Dan likes to call him, and then obviously someone that everybody here in Baltimore knows. Um, you know. They were obviously very interested in in bringing us up there. Dan has been very instrumental in helping to pave the way for us up in the new, in the New England area because look, that's where he's from and that's what he loves. Um, and he's helped us get a game against Pittsfield uh, at the ballpark in Pawtucket. Uh, he's also helped us with some New England Collegiate Baseball League clubs um, and. And for many of your listeners that may or may not know, uh, over about 12 years ago, there was an uh, Israeli professional baseball league that lasted about three or four months, and, and Dan was the director of baseball operations there. So Dan holds an affinity for Israel and Israel baseball. Yeah, he certainly does. Um, how much of your club uh, and the roster is, is sort of set in stone now, or is it sort of a moving target? a little bit uh, based on availability? Well, it, it's a little bit of a moving target. Obviously, someone like Orion LaVarnway, who uh, has been part of our WBC clubs and wants to be a, per, a part of this Olympic club, um, just signed a deal with the Marlins. So I'm not sure if he discussed with them the potential that he would have to leave um, in, in late July and early August. Um, obviously, if he's at the major league level, we don't see that happening. Yeah. Um, but, but the club, we've had to submit a, a roster to the Israel Olympic Committee. Um, we as a group, uh, I think 75% of us, players, coaches, staff, are heading over to Israel later this week um, so to do some of the meetings and do some of the preliminary stuff. Now, um, for full disclosure, I am not going to Tokyo and, and it's a simple reason. It has to do with housing. The, yep. Much like the WBC that is run by Major League Baseball and the Players Association, our travel roster is much smaller uh, in the Olympics. And there's a finite number of spots, and I felt it was important since I was in Tokyo two years ago to give someone else the opportunity that hasn't been there. Um, so... What level of play do you think that is this team that you currently have sort of the the idea of the, of a roster? Is it better than the World Baseball Classic team of a couple of years ago? Um, you know, I'm asking you to be a judge there. No, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you, and any of my friends that are scouts are gonna are gonna appreciate my honesty. Um, in if the World Baseball Classic team that we had played the Olympic team that we're going to have, I think the WBC club wins seven or eight times out of ten. And there's a reason for that. That WBC club was 90% current professional uh, players, either in AAA, AA, A-ball, and and some with uh, significant uh, time in the major league level. The Israel club is truly 
a mixture of a guy like Danny Valencia right. and maybe Ryan LaVarnway down to guys that have never made it to A-ball or double-A and are working on, uh, are they in independent baseball? Or to be honest with you, the highest they played was Division One baseball because the issue here is, is that unlike the WBC, every member of the Israel Olympic team has to have a dual citizenship. And they have to be, um, and, and those guys have gone over to Israel to um, obtain their Israeli citizenships, citizenships. And it also has the, the added, uh, the schedule is so different. In other words, all of baseball sort of takes a bit of a pause. They don't stop spring training games, but there's sort of an understanding that players can play in the World Baseball Classic. In the Olympics, like you say, they're going to take place actually when Major League Baseball is in their season. They're not going to get the same cooperation there. Yeah, correct. And, and I think you're going to see a club like Japan, host country, who um, is going to put a major league club out there. i, I got to go back, but I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised at actually Japanese Major League Baseball. So, you know, Adam Jones is going to get about uh, 10 days off. I think they might shut down during the Olympics to allow their players to go represent their, their country. We're talking with Adam Gladstone. He's the assistant general manager of Team Israel that is scheduled to play in the Olympics this season in Tokyo. Adam, uh, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you one Major League Baseball question. You know, you worked, sure. for, the, you worked for the Orioles as Bucks video assist guy. Uh, that first year video came into play, and you've been pretty close to several members of that team. Uh, if there's one guy, uh, I know you're, you're very fond and friendly with Nicky Marcakis, but uh, one of the guys I know you have a great deal of respect for is Chris Tillman. Uh, word, came sure. out, word came out about a week ago, and uh, I was surprised a lot of us didn't know this, that he had had labrum cleanup surgery on his shoulder uh, and is planning to do uh, sort of a showcase. Um, your thoughts on Tillman and uh, what you know about shoulder cleanups, is it at all possible that there's an interesting comeback story, and I'm not even involving him right now with the Orioles, just from a personal level, because this is a guy you and I both know. Had he not gotten hurt when he did, he was probably due about a five-year contract at seventy-five to ninety million dollars at that time, it, it, and he it, never it, and he never got that. You know, no, it, you know, for 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 those of us that had the opportunity to spend time with Tilly and, and to get to know him. Um, he's a, he's a teammate that you would want to have. That being said, my time in the Atlantic league and running clubs and seeing guys who have come back from that type of surgery. Um, is it easy? Absolutely not. But he's, he's certainly young enough. He's always been in pretty good, uh, uh shape that he's going to be given a chance. And if he comes back and he impresses and he ticks up and, and hits, you know, probably, you know, 90 to 92 uh, now without a full, you know, spring training schedule or a full regime. That's going to intrigue some people, certainly because of his, his background, certainly because of his stature. And let's not kid ourselves with the way that, that major league organizations look for pitching. If you have someone like him, and what did I just see that David Hernandez just signed a deal he with just the just signed with Nationals. the Nationals, yeah. So, I mean, if guys like David Hernandez are still out there and throwing 
a healthy Chris Tillman could certainly look. Someone's going to take a chance on him yep. and, and and give him a shot and bring him to camp. And um, too bad he's not Jewish. If not, we'd have him for the uh, uh, Olympic team. I was going to see if you could get him. <laughs> if you could get him to showcase, uh, maybe he would convert. Yeah, you, you know we've we've. I'll tell you what we've had some interesting conversations in the past two weeks with a number of major league clubs right. uh, about playing them just before the start of spring training. Um, and all of them, in fact, Joe Girardi took the most interest with the Phillies through our relationship with Sam Fold over there yep. and uh, Ned Rice. Um, but the timing is probably isn't going to work because the start of the major league season this year is so early in March that obviously the start of the spring training schedule is much early and I, earlier, and I believe that players reporting is on a Monday, and some first exhibition games are on Friday or Saturday. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. I wondered, by the way, with the connection with Andy McPhail and uh, Matt Klintak, if that might not be, if he looks good in his showcase, that might not be a perfect spot for Chris Tillman. There is no question, Stan, as you know, that relationships play such a, well, they used to play such a big part yeah. in this game. Yeah. Um, and, and I would hope that that still remains the same. And I really feel that if Tilly is anywhere near, can show any type of potential yep. to help a major league club, that certainly a relationship's going to come into play. And probably more so in Philadelphia than here in Baltimore. I agree. I agree. Hey, Adam, many thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning, and we'll uh, stay in touch on this, okay? Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Happy, healthy New Year to you and your family. All right? You as well. All right. Hey, uh, this is Stan the Fan, and you know we've had a special season for our football team this, this season, the Baltimore Ravens. But when it comes to dining out casually and affordably, I know a place that is special every season. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. Not only are they known all over for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes, they have a couple specials you want to keep in mind. Monday night is crab cake night. Tuesday night is Tuesday night is uh, ribs night. Wednesday night is steak night, partnered with half-price bottles of your favorite wines. And Thursday night is lobster night. So check out the Costas Inn this football season. And you may come back whatever this season. That's Costasin, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Phone number 410-477-1975. Because if you do want crabs, you got to reserve them in advance. Call the Costasin at 410-477-1975. Uh, our next guest due in and momentarily is Bill Latson of MLB.com. And he joins us right now. Bill, did you have an exciting uh, New Year's Eve? It's a great uh, New Year's. Quiet with my wife, and uh, that's about it. And, uh, you know, I'm planning to uh, see a play today, The Temptations, and we just take it from there. I heard that's a great play. I yes, for- it is. I forget the name of it, but I, I heard it's terrific. Ain't uh, too proud to beg. Ain't too proud to beg. That's right. Yes. Uh, Bill Latson, by the way, is a columnist for MLB.com. Bill, we're past New Year's. It's hard to believe that spring training is literally about 33 days away from kicking off for everybody, 33 to 35 days away. Um, 
Biggest unfinished piece of business appears to be Josh Donaldson, and it sounds like the next three or four days, uh, this is all going to get come down to it. Three teams we know, the Twins, the Nationals, and the Braves, have all offered him four years. He's come out now and put an actual sort of dollar figure, uh, and I guess he's looking for teams to present their best offer. The Dodgers and the Rangers were interested to a point. Uh, where, where do you think this thing stands right now? Well, I have to think uh, the Nationals are out of it because yeah. uh, they just re-signed uh, Azrubel Cabrera and Stalin Castro. Right. So um, I think one of those guys will be playing third base. And, you, you know, as you know, Cabrera just had a great year uh, for the Nationals, helped them win a title. And, you know, and you know, Starling Castro is a consistent hitter. And I have to think at this point that uh, Josh Donaldson's going back to the Braves. I, ha- I have to think that because yeah. he, he had a great year with them. He's familiar with the GM. They go back to, to their days in uh, Toronto. I still say he's going to be uh, the Atlanta Braves right now. You know, I, I said yesterday when they, when they signed Will Harris for three years, $24 million, I, I, it, it started to, in, in the pit of my stomach, I said, they are moving on from Josh Donaldson. And then while we were on the air yesterday on Masson with the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, and I said that, then word came that they signed Castro, and now they've signed Cabrera. I saw a connectivity that I think Mike Rizzo had moved on from Donaldson, despite his protestations to the opposite. Yes, and um, yes, and it was quoted today that um, they're not exactly out of the Donaldson race, but I believe they are now. Yeah, and uh, and, you know, and you know, Cabrera had a great year, and, and why not put him at third base? So um, you know, and Castro most likely will play second, and we'll take it from there. Uh, we're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, is there any shot at all that the Dodgers, now that they know what it'll take? just come in and pay $5 million more than the Atlanta Braves at this point? Or do you think they're too far out of this thing? I think they're too far out. I just think, um, you know, it seems like the Dodgers, I know they've been offering money to a lot of players. But with Donaldson, I think they're out of it because, first of all, Donaldson is 34 years old. I think people forget that. Yeah. And uh, you don't know how much he has left in the tank. So I think, you know, they'll be, I think they have to go back to the drawing board and try to get someone else. But but like I told you, they can still make deals until the end of spring training. So, you know, just because they don't get Donaldson doesn't mean, you know, they're not going to be as good. I think they'll be the best in the West again. And, uh, I, you know, I I don't think they really need John Donaldson, to be honest with you. They have... uh, Turner, and uh, you know he's good enough. Bill, uh, there are there are several other name free agents out there. They're not quite the luster of what was out there earlier, but Nicholas Castellanos, uh, Marcelo Suna uh, are still out there, uh, and a couple others. Uh, you you have any ideas of where certain people that are still available end up? I just think this is a waiting game until spring training. As you know, uh, Boris is uh, 
Castellano's agent, and uh, I think that's going to be a way and see. I don't think people are willing to give him a lot of money because, remember this, he's a poor defensive player. And I think most American League teams would be interested in him to be a DH. So I think that's going to be a waiting game until close to spring training. This past week, uh, a legendary name. He wasn't really a legendary pitcher throughout his career, but Don Larson passed away. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you get to know Larson at all in your time covering MLB? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, but I know a lot about him. You know, he's no here, of course. And he, and he, you know, let's be honest. You know, he wasn't a consistent pitcher throughout his career. And uh, people forget that earlier in that World Series, he was rocked. And then it suddenly he has this uh, perfect game against the Brooklyn Dodgers. So uh, I know all about him. I know his place with the Browns and the Orioles and the Giants. And, uh, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, he, he, of course, was with the Baltimore Orioles in their first year. Uh, before going, I think he had been with the Yankees and ended up with the Orioles in 54. And uh, I think he lost 21 games with the Orioles that season. That's correct. Yeah. And he went to the Yankees on an 11-player trade, which is unheard of today. Wow. Maybe every 30 or 40 years the Orioles do that. They did that one in 1976 that set the tone for the Orioles when they acquired McGregor and um, Elrod Hendricks. Uh, excuse me, they acquired Rick Dempsey Martinez. and Tippy Martinez in that trade. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill Latson is our guest. Billy, um, the Nationals. One other thing that we've all been sort of just feeling that it was a fait accompli was that they were going to bring back, uh, you know, the face of the franchise, Ryan Zimmerman. Are you surprised that it's taken this long and a deal is still not done? Does that bode not so well for the the return of Zimmerman there in Washington? No, I'm not surprised. I mean, because Zimmerman pretty much said he was either going to play for the Nationals or retire. Okay. And I think they're, they're taking care of their top priorities first and then uh, taking care of Zimmerman. I think they know they're, they're loyal to Zimmerman. And, you know, he knows that he's, he knows that he's not going to take uh, – Nationals to the bank. Right. So, I mean, he, he's going to get a pay cut. So, I, I think it's a matter of time before he signs. And, you know, I was told this week that it was a 90% chance that uh, Zimmerman will sign with the, with, the, uh, with the Nationals. With the Nationals, okay. And he'll yes. probably be penciled in. Do you see them going after a left-hand platoon coupling, like either a Mitch Moreland or a uh, Matt Adams again, or uh, Eric Thames? I think it depends on Zimmerman's health. Um, you know, the reason, you know, Matt Adams was there the last two years was because Zimmerman wasn't healthy. It's that simple. So uh, I would say right now, probably not. And you, you know what, though? I think Zim can still play every day. We saw what he did in the postseason. He did so well. I, I think he's still an everyday player. Yeah, I think he can play about 120 to 130 games a year. Uh, you know, yes. if he if he maintains, if he's able to stay healthy, that's a key question. We're talking yes. with Bill Latson, columnist, MLB.com. Bill, uh, we're, like I say, we're 30 days away from spring training. Uh, who is the most improved club? Do you think it's the White Sox? Man, I mean, Stan, you know me by now. Yeah. You know, you, you, I, 
I got to see what they do in spring training. Now, on paper, it looks good. Yeah. Yes, they made some nice, you know, some nice deals. They have a new catcher now. In, um, you know, and in Grand Isle. In Grand Isle. Yeah, yeah, yes, and I'll I tell you, um, let me see what happens uh, during spring training, and I'll have an idea. You know, and you have Gio Gonzalez. I think Gio Gonzalez, you know, you got to cross your fingers because we don't know what he's done the last two, three years. He has been inconsistent. So, um, you know, I, I got to take a wait and see on that. Um, is there another team that comes, jumps out at you that you say, hey, they've, they've done well? I mean, as Toronto, I, I don't think Toronto has stepped up enough to be competitive directly with Tampa and Boston and the Yankees, but have they done some things with that pitching staff to improve their possibilities? Well, well they have a new uh, starting pitcher. Yes, it helps. He's a veteran who can help the young staff. Uh, Ryu, we talking about. I, I don't. I don't know. Again, I I can't pick them. Now they have awesome hitting, and but it's young. So we we gotta see if they can, you know, improve. I mean, uh, Cabin Biggio. I think is a real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Bichette, I think he's a real deal. I think uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a real deal. But I think you got to have more than three guys to do the job. I mean, they have a nice young offense, but uh, let me see. Let me see them do it all year. All right, uh, Tampa. Have they done much to help themselves this off season? Well, no, not really. But you know, they find a way. I mean, Kevin Cash is a, uh, you know, a great manager. And, you know, when they got rid of uh, Sam, Tommy Pham, I mean, that surprised me because he really yeah, did he, a job for them. He was, I, I don't a, know, di- he me... was a dynamic player for them, yeah. Right, and they, and they got Renfro in return. So, I mean, let me see what, I mean, everyone's saying Renfro is a, good, is a great player. Let me see that before I say anything. Bill Latson is our guest from MLB.com. Bill, uh, what are you expecting? Uh, are you expecting before spring training we'll know what type of punishment MLB is going to mete out on the Houston Astros in this cheating scandal? I hope so. I mean, um, I, you know, it takes time. You know, they're going to do their uh, due diligence, which the, you know, which they have been doing. So. Um, I'm sure it's going to cost the Astros something. So what that is, I have no idea. But we know that, uh, you know, baseball is going to do their job, and um, I'm not expecting anything less. The New York Mets, uh, it's been announced that uh, a a new member of their ownership group, Stephen Cohen, uh, who's a Wall Street uh, or hedge fund uh, insider, whatever it's called, but he's a multi-billionaire is poised to, if if things go through, unless the Wilpons get cold feet about selling him uh, controlling interest in the team, uh, how will that change the New York Mets? I don't, I don't know if it will change. I mean, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I mean, I just know that, uh, you know, they made a nice deal with uh, Batanzas uh, last week. Yep. I, I just, uh, that was a big help. So, I mean, I think they'll be contenders as well. I mean, I don't think when you say anything different, on the field, I just don't. I think it'll be about the same. I think they'll be in contention. 
And, you know, I think the person that we have to keep an eye on is Carlos Beltran. How he will manage uh, the Mets, and because he's never managed before. So we'll see. He's been a leader as a player, but we never see him as a manager. All right. Bill Latson is our has been our guest. Bill, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the play today on the Temptations. I appreciate it. You take care. All right. Best of luck. All right. That is Bill Latson. We will uh, tell you a couple things right now that uh, the batter round is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Uh, the latest edition of Press Box is available now. And let me hold up the cover to this bad boy. It's our very special Press Box Best of 2019 issue presented by Maryland, by the Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as Athlete of the Year, and Bill Ardeen honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sports Person of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Okay, I'm getting an Italian cold cut with oil and vinegar. Turkey and Swiss with extra mayo for me. And I want a ham and cheese with everything. Before we go to the game, we go to Royal Farms. It's not football without a Royal Farms sub. At Royal Farms, it's all fresh. And delicious. In this town, you don't tailgate with a hoagie. You tailgate with a Royal Farms sub and world-famous chicken. Royal Farms. Real fresh, real fast, real Baltimore. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-price bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostasInn.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Ravens and Caps season with all of the games on dozens of TVs. Daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week. Join Sliders for the away Ravens games as well as the home game parties featuring Fancy Clancy Pilsner as well as game day food and drink specials. Find out about all of the parties and specials at slidersbaltimore.com sliders one of baltimore's original continuously operating bars the latest edition of press box is available now and it's our very special press box best of 2019 issue presented by maryland sports commission on the cover we recognize lamar jackson as athlete of the year and bill Ardeen honors the inspirational mo gabba as our sports person of the year inside the issue we celebrate the top people performances and moments of the year press box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 royal farm stores you can also find the entire 
edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Oh. Or, how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. Well, I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. $175, and um, that's $175 per block. You're not playing to win money for yourself uh, or your business. You're playing to win money for your favorite charity in town. We've done this for nine previous seasons, and uh, during those nine previous seasons, we've given away a total of over $105,000. We're very proud of that here at Press Box. Uh, and we couldn't do it without you folks. We've got about 15 or 18 blocks. Don't don't be fooled by this. This was printed about two and a half weeks ago. We've got about 17 or 18 blocks left. We got about three weeks to close this out. If you're interested in participating, drop an email to my partner John Colson at John C at PressBoxOnline.com. John C at PressBoxOnline.com, and he'll get you hooked up with buying a block for that uh, pool. All right, we're getting Craig Heist on the line right now, and uh, and we'll close things out on the program today. Um, we'll close things out on the on the on the day by um, by having Marty Appel on. Marty, a Yankee historian of some note, he's written over twenty books on the New York Yankees. Marty Appel is going to join us in about 10 minutes. Uh, but right now, we've got Craig Heist for that amount of time. And, Craig, I know you're out at College Park at the Xfinity Center. What are you getting ready to watch? Well, we're getting ready to watch Maryland and Indiana with a noon uh, tip-off. But I'm kind of disappointed I'm not there today. Uh, I, I misdid my schedule, if you will. I thought for sure this game was a 7 o'clock start. It wound up being a... 12 noon start, and I'm upset that I'm not going to be able to be on with Marty because he's one of my favorite guys. Is he? Is he? Yeah. All right. Love Marty. How Absolutely. You, how, how have you gotten to know Marty from being up in the well, press just, box? Just, yeah, just being in the press box and covering games down through the years, yep. Well, I mean, he probably he probably doesn't know me from Adam, but I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's one of those things where you're around somebody and you hear the stories and you talk baseball with him. And, uh, you know, in a group of people, and, uh, you know, he's a very entertaining guy. Well, I got to tell you, one of my favorite stories uh, surrounding you and baseball is the time that you got the late Bob Shepard to record your <laughs> record your voicemail message. Yeah, well, you know, and I, that's on a cassette somewhere, 
and, and I have to find it, and it would take me years, to, I think, to probably go through all the cassette tapes that I have and, and find it. But uh, uh, I lost the actual recording off the phone machine because we had a, an electrical storm that knocked out power, and it also fried the machine. <laughs> Right. If I'm ever going to get that back and continue to live with the same phone number of where I am now, uh, I'd have to do that. Well, uh, that was one of my favorites, though, but I did hear it a couple occasions when you had it on. Look, I got a cassette. I don't remember how we got this thing. Do you remember the Howard Cosell, the, the real Howard Cosell audio tape that made the rounds of the people at ABC Radio pranking him? Oh yeah, 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 and and he was going nuts. And he and then he went nuts on somebody called him up while he was recording this thing. They were running wild sound on it, and uh, he he broke. And then he started to do the commentary again, and he got a phone call, and he picked it up and went off on this guy who wanted tickets for the uh, the big writers uh, event in New York. It was hilarious. Yep. That was Howard. <laughs> Howard Cosell. Hey, um, the Nationals have made in rapid-fire succession three moves over the last day, and I'm not even including a fourth move, signing David Hernandez, the former Oriole pitcher, uh, to a minor league contract. But they've signed Will Harris, three years, $24 million, Starling Castro for two years, $12 million, and now I understand this morning they've signed Astrubal Cabrera, according to Bill Latson. Um, does that put them out of the Josh Donaldson uh, uh, sweepstakes? Uh, I would think it's putting them closer to being out of it, uh, but the reports are that they're still in it, and uh, I just think this is a typical Mike Rizzo move uh, going on the premise that, well, you know what, if plan A doesn't come together, we better have plans B and yep. C, and I think they do have that now. Uh, because this this enables uh, there to be kind of a platoon at second base, a little bit between Cabrera and 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 also Donald. I'm, I'm sorry, Cabrera and also Howie Kendrick. That of course is when Kendrick's not spelling Ryan Zimmerman at first base. Uh, I, again, Castro primarily a second baseman stand, but he did play 44 games for the Marlins last year at third base. So. Uh, I think that, you know, his offensive numbers last year uh, were, were good enough to say that, you know, he can be a contributor to this lineup without question. No question. He's at least the equal of Brian Dozier and probably a little bit more dynamic player because of his speed. Yeah, I... the, only, the, only thing, the only thing I don't like, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, and we saw this early in the year last year with the Nationals, uh, Starlin has, a, has has some trouble sometimes running the bases, so mm-hmm. he does make some blunders on the base pass. So we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, when, when you think about him and you think about Cabrera, that kind of solidifies uh, the infield uh, along with having, having Kendrick and, of course, when, when they re-sign Zimmerman. And I'm hearing that people are getting you know a little antsy about that fans and stuff, but I, I have no doubt in my mind that Ryan Zimmerman is going to be a national this year. Yeah, it sure seems that way. You know, I think though that it's going to be interesting. I think they, I think Davey Martinez will want to get a good look at Castro at third. Yeah. In, in case, let's suppose Carter Keboom really has a big spring and forces his way into the second base picture. 
Um, I think they would much rather, if Keyboom does end up playing this year at all, I think they'd rather not start him at a new position. I think they'd like to have him up the middle of the infield somewhere. Well, I think you're absolutely right on that. And again, a lot of this is going to depend on <clears throat> on Carter and what he's worked on in the off season, how consistent he can be with the bat, because that's obviously been an issue for him. Uh, but, but again, this is what spring training is for. And can you believe it? We're just a little over 40 days away from that beginning. <laughs> We're talking with Craig Heist. Uh, Craig, uh, um, a regular on the Washington Nationals radio network. He's also uh, part of the uh, Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, the Nats show on Masson, uh, and he's a regular in here as well. Um, you know, I wanted to get you, – you've watched Davey Martinez now up close for two years. Starling Castro is a guy – I won't call it that he comes with a lot of baggage – but I, I think he's he's an odd duck a little bit, and he's a little high-strung. I think he's going to play for the perfect manager right now for him. Well, I think uh, in terms of keeping a clubhouse together, and trust me, there's enough veterans in that clubhouse. When you think of a Cabrera, when you think of Zimmerman, when you think of Howie Kendrick, uh, you, you know, some of the guys in the bullpen that are veterans, and, and, and guys on this starting staff, a Strasburg, a Scherzer, uh, even a Patrick Corbin, you, you can rest assured that whatever baggage that Starlin Castro brings with him, uh, a lot of that will be nipped in the bud with the culture uh, that's in that clubhouse. We're talking with Craig Heist, and uh, Craig is out there for the Maryland-Indiana yeah. game at the Xfinity Center. Tip-off is 12 o'clock. What are you expecting to see of the Terps today? Well, you're hoping for a better start than what we've seen almost every game this year. Whether or not that happens, we'll wait and see. But uh, defensively, they have to play well. These are two teams with uh, uh, identical records, I do believe, coming in. So uh, one is ranked, one is not at this point. Uh, The other test comes uh, on Tuesday here when they'll take on Ohio State. And uh, Ohio State got beaten by Wisconsin at Ohio State last night. So, uh, again, here, here, here a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, we were watching Ohio State just run roughshod over everybody. So maybe they've run into some issues a little bit. Hey, turning back to the Nationals for just a second, Craig, did the Harris signing surprise you at all that they went the third year? And uh, uh, what I consider – a high but reasonable number uh, based on how well Harris has pitched. Well, I'm not surprised by that for, for just that reason. I mean, you talk to most people and they'll tell you how filthy he can be. And, uh, you know, even the pitch that Howie Kendrick hit out of the ballpark off the foul pole in Game 7 of the World Series last year was a pretty good pitch. If you look at that on replay again, it's down, it's away. Yep. How he gets how he gets the barrel of the bat on it and gets it up in the air high enough that when it's descending it just clears the wall and hits the lower end of the foul pole. So again, that's that's I always go back to that stand. Yeah, you gotta be good, but you also have to have a little luck with you too. Yeah. And and, and I think that was a lot a lot of what happened and fell right for the Nationals last year. You know, they get in as a wild card team and uh, they wind up running the table, and they win five elimination games. And Howie Kendricks, the 
you know, the, the MVP of the LDS against the Dodgers with the Grand Slam late, and then uh, Steven Strasburg, the MVP of the World Series. But when you think about when you think about how many how many uh, runs they scored from the seventh inning on, and how many runs they scored with two outs, uh, that's a little bit of what I'm talking about. When you say you got to have uh, some luck on your side as well. Hey, last question for you. I think it was Tyler Kepner tweeted something that a lot of us know, but he he put it into words on Twitter. Uh, he couldn't recall. Uh, a situation like Harris giving up the game-winning home run and then reconnecting with the, the teammate, it, now his teammate, the guy who beat him to win the World Series is pretty well, unusual. And, and the other part about that, too, is it is unusual without question, but the one thing that will happen when Harris comes in uh, to games and almost every day he's in that ballpark, you know they're going to show uh, that home run on the big board yeah. over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So that's something that he'll have to get used to pretty quickly. <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right, listen, I appreciate your being willing to come on and talk about that uh, in a short window, and hopefully we'll see you next Saturday back in studio. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you soon. There's Craig Heist, and uh, we will uh, appreciate uh, his being on on the program. And we will let you know. Um, I'm just trying to think what else I have to do here. Uh, I've got to tell you about the uh, lo- the hall at Live Casino. We'll make our connection now with Marty Appel. But Live Casino Hotel's brand-new music venue, the hall li- at Live, is open, and it's going to host lots of world-class entertainment in 2020. Spend Valentine's Day with Soulful Grammy Award winner Jill Scott, who headlines the Hall at Live on February the 14th. Doors open at 8 o'clock. Tickets start at just $43.99, and they are available now at livecasinohotel.com. Other great shows coming to the Hall at Live this year include Squeeze, February 29th, OAR, March 14th, Adam Sandler, March 19th, Air Supply, April 3rd, Josh Groban, April 16th, Patti LaBelle, May 2nd, and Gabriel Iglesias, August the 22nd. Get your tickets now by going to livecasinohotel.com. And we are broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. And joining us now is somebody I've not known, but I've known of for a long, long time. He's Yankee historian and author of over 20 books, and that is the great Marty Appel. Marty Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. My pleasure. Good to be on with you, one of my favorite cities. So uh, here I go. Here I am. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Tell me first, uh, go back in time. When was the first time you remember meeting Don Larson, who passed away this week? Well, I was hired in the Yankee PR department in 1968, which was actually just the year after he retired as an active player. But we, uh, I was very much involved with the planning of old-timers days, and we always had Don Larson back uh, for his 81 career wins. <laughs> his <laughs> one moment in the sun kind of assured him a lifetime uh, pass to old-timers day. Did. So I got to meet him that first year, 1968, and forever on, he was always on the guest list. Yeah, I imagine that, that moment in the sun, the perfect game in the 56 World Series, uh, put him on the map. Was he aware that, 
you know, it's hard, it's hard to ask it this way, but was he aware how unspecial he really was as a baseball pitcher and that he got this one moment where everything went right for him uh, and he sort of ran with it? I think he was very much aware of that. Um, he knew he was, at best, a pretty ordinary baseball player, maybe in the lower half if you ranked active major leaguers during his time, never won more than 11 games in a season. So he knew, and of course he read all the time, about how extraordinary that perfect game was. Well, it's interesting. He played, I I did not know, I knew he played for the Orioles in their inaugural season in Baltimore. In fact, finished that season 3-21, and with a 4.37 ERA, but the previous year he pitched for the St. Louis Browns the last year in St. Louis. I did not know that. Yeah, he was one of those who moved with the franchise from St. Louis to Baltimore. And there's an old adage in baseball that if you lose 20 games, you're probably a pretty good pitcher to get that many starts and to stay in the rotation. Uh, The 56 World Series game. Uh, you weren't working for the team, obviously, at that time. What do you remember most that fans cling on to? Was it was it that Yogi jumped into Larson's, you know, uh, yeah. arms at the end of the game? Was it a specific play in the game? Um, well, it, there was one play where Mantle really ran a long distance to snare a long drive to left center. Uh, certainly the image of Yogi jumping into Larson's arms stayed with us all. And as I came to know Yogi really well later on when I went to work for the team, it was so uncharacteristic for low-key Yogi Berra, who seldom had an expression (laughs) outside the box on anything. You know, you could tell him the most amazing thing, and he'd go, oh, yeah, is that so? (laughs) And here he jumped jumps into Larson's arms, and he always called it his greatest moment in baseball. Really? He called it his greatest moment. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the teamwork between the pitcher and the catcher on a beautiful game like that, perfect game, uh, both par- both parties feel it all the way. Hey, a lot of people don't remember, and I, I did a show last night with Phil Wood, and Phil brought it up, and then I heard it again. Uh, last night somewhere that uh, people forget that in game two of that World Series, I don't think he got out of the second inning. He got rocked so hard. And then three days later, there was this perfect game. Uh, Did you ever talk to Casey Stengel about what, what he was expecting that day out of Don Larson? I never had any meaningful, long conversations with Casey. I knew him, and I was the one who brought him back to uh, old-timers days. But, I don't know, you just couldn't sit down and have that kind of a conversation with Casey. He was, like, all over the place. Yeah, he sure was. Hey, um, moving from Don Larson for a second, I'd be remiss if I uh, had Marty Appel on and didn't talk about some of the books that you've written and some of the Yankee history um, hey, before we do that, I yeah. wanted to just mention a couple other things sure. about Don Larson. Go ahead. One, it was the first game I remember where they published the pitch count, which was 97. Okay. I had never seen that published before. That was the first time I was aware that somebody was actually keeping track of that. 
The other thing <clears throat> was that he led such a fast lane life, hard drinker. Um, I was going to ask a, you about that. I mean, was he a buddy of Martin's and Mantle's? And yeah, he, he loved just going around with them, but in some ways he outpaced them. Really? And he was a really hard liver, but you know what? He's the last survivor of the box score of the perfect game. Yeah, I meant to mention that you because you were the one that uh, brought it uh, brought it up the other day in the discussions about Don Larson. So he is he necessarily the last living member of either team, or is he the last living was the last well, living member the in the score. press in the in the box score in the box score? Yeah, Carl Erskine is still with us. Uh, maybe a couple of others, but uh, the last one in the box score, which That's nobody would have bet on, you know, right. the way he you would have bet life. on. Yeah. And then I learned yesterday from a local obituary out in Idaho, uh, where he told the re- a reporter that he'd been smoking since he was ten. So that gives him eighty years of smoking, and he still wow. <laughs> beat Jeez all the odds whiz. and made it to ninety. That's amazing! Absolutely yeah. amazing. Marty, what was your first year working for the Yankees? 1968, which was Mickey Mantle's last year as an active player. What do you remember? And you were you a Yankees fan growing up in New York? I was. That was the beauty of it all. I became a fan. 1955 World Series. Right. I was seven. I was living in Brooklyn. Brooklyn won the World Series, and everybody was dancing in the streets. But this was my first awareness of baseball. And I kind of took took it to heart that the Yankees were the underdogs, <laughs> and I was determined to root for the uh, underdogs. So um, I became a Yankee fan as a result of them losing the World Series. And sometimes I tell people my whole life has been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that really probably put you in some tough tough company in Brooklyn. To be a Yankee fan yeah. at that age. We moved to Queens soon thereafter, and right. it, it was a little easier. But I was always a Yankee fan. It was hard not to root for Mickey Mantle. He was everybody's hero in the 50s. Even people who hated the Yankees <clears throat> had to admire Mickey Mantle. Yeah. So for me to then go from being a childhood Yankee fan, Mickey Mantle fan, to working for the team and working with Mickey Mantle, what a treat that was for me at 19. It was a treat, but was it tough to watch what he was going through physically at that point in his life? Uh, it was tough because he was the last one left of those great Casey Stengel teams, yeah. still an active player. And what that meant was even Nick would look around the clubhouse and wonder who these guys were. You know, who's Don Nottabart, who's Fred Talbot, <laughs> who are these people? And um, it was tough for him. He, I remember, you know, great curiosity watching him wrap his legs before the game yep. with these long ace bandages and thinking, oh, I But he wouldn't take batting practice in that last year or maybe only occasionally. He just didn't really feel part of the team anymore. So I think in his mind he knew that uh, that was going to be his last season, even though he didn't formally retire until uh, the following spring. Hey, the other day, Marty, this doesn't affect you so much because you weren't with the team yet, but Tyler Kepner of the Times tweeted out something like, he can't remember the history of the World Series and 
the the sort of the go to the series or uh, and hooking up with the team that beat him in the World Series. And I, I tweeted back to him that in 1965, it's, it's not remembered by a lot of people, Johnny Keene was the manager in 64 that lost to the Yankees, and by a really weird turn of events, he ended up managing the Yankees the next year. Yeah, he actually beat the Yankees. Yeah. Cardinals won I mean, he World beat Series. the Yankees. That's right. He beat them. Yeah. Yeah, and boy, that was some story when he resigned – and took the Yankees' job, and uh, that didn't turn out well, but boy, was that a shock to the baseball world after that World Series win. It was a double shock because Yogi Berra managed the Yankees in 64. Right, and got fired, and got, despite being in the World Series, so is, you know, the two events. Right. Uh, the winning manager goes over the Yankees, the losing manager got fired. Um were you at all responsible for bringing Yogi back into the fold eventually to come to Old Timers Day? Um, if anybody should get the credit for that, it should be the Yankees broadcaster, Susan Waldman, who was doing a radio show on WFAN in New York in those days. And she kind of brokered a peace between Mr. Steinbrenner and Yogi. Uh, they met at the Yogi Berra Museum, and they shook hands and apologized to each other. Yogi had nothing to apologize about, right. but that was his innate style of just knowing the right thing to do. Yeah. Mr. Steinbrenner humbled himself by apologizing for the manner in which Yogi had been fired years before, and Yogi's response wasn't to rub it in his face. It was, oh, I've made mistakes too. Yeah. And he didn't have to say that, but yeah. Yogi knew how to handle the situation. Yeah, he was a special He was a special guy. Absolutely. Now, the other guy that George Steinbrenner fired uh, seemingly every uh, other year there for about a series of four or five years was Billy Martin. Was there a genuine affection between the two men? It was hard not to be a Billy Martin fan because just you would empathize with him. You would feel for him. You would know there was something about him that it was always going to get him in trouble, always going to get him fired, and then the next day you just felt terrible and felt bad for Billy and wished that things would work out. So he got fired five times as a manager, rehired four times, probably would have been a fifth uh, had he lived. And um, he was just a very sympathetic character. Yeah. When yeah. Mr. Steinbrenner bought the team in uh, 1973, actually January 3rd, yesterday, wow. 1973, uh, when you buy the Yankees, you buy that whole history. You buy kind of the right and the access to all those great names. So that was part of what he bought was Billy Martin's uh, history. And, uh, boy, the two of them. <laughs> Turbulent times, but a lot of good what a lot of good you, victories out of it. What do you think of the way uh, Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman work together and run the New York Yankees at this point in time? I wouldn't have any criticism. Uh, I mean, they're smarter than I am, and they know what they're doing, and I have a lot of confidence in both of them. But you know what? Yanks have won one World Series in the last 20 years. Uh, you kind of hope for better results with that payroll and all the big stars that come through the door. Uh, so they're gambling on Garrett Cole being the key to uh, taking over the finish line this year. 
if uh, if I were going out to buy a book tomorrow that you're most proud of, uh, give me two or three that you really uh, are special to you. And I'm sure, like children, they're all special to you. But uh, tell us a little bit about a couple of them. Well, the first one I'd mention would be uh, Pinstripe Empire, which uh, came out in an updated edition after the 2013 season. And its full title is... Uh, Pinstripe Empire, the New York Yankees from before the babe to after the boss. And um, it's the whole history of the Yankees, which hadn't been done since the 1940s. So I'm very proud of that. It was very well received, and I think people see it as the definitive history of the Yankees, uh, going back to when they were the Baltimore Orioles, <laughs> yep. 1901 and 1902. Um then I did biographies of Casey Stengel and of Thurman Munson that Yankee fans especially seem to connect to and like. How so, well uh, How well did you know Thurman Munson? Oh, Thurman and I were very close friends. We Our careers kind of paralleled. Uh, I started in 68. That was the year he was the team's number one draft pick. And um, we had him come up. At the end of the uh, 68 season with the Binghamton triplets, just we wanted to see him play in Yankee Stadium and photograph him. So we scheduled an exhibition game there, and I worked with him and the photographer on a photo session. Then in 69, when I was, you know, obviously still there, he came up and played the last part of the season. And then in 70, he was Rookie of the Year. And even as Rookie of the Year, it was so much beyond that. He was kind of a captain of the team as yep. a rookie he had such leadership qualities so uh thurman and i went the distance together any doubts that had munson lived to play out his whole career that he'd be in the hall of fame now it's a tough question um those of us who were watching him every day knew that his big years were probably behind him mm-hmm. and his days as a catcher were probably over or were going to be quite limited so we did see the best of Thurman Munson, but it's safe to say he wasn't going to be a top-tier player for 15 to 20 years. Okay. So it's hard to speculate. Um, I'd love nothing would make me happier than to see him go all into the Hall of Fame, but you know what? He's at least 0 for 18 in votes yep. in uh, 15 years with the writers, and the veterans ballot at least three and possibly more when they kept the uh, names secret as to who was on the ballot. So uh, he's had his chance. I still love him. I'd be yep. happy if he was in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he's going to make it. Yeah, I feel the same way about, uh, and I've only gotten to meet him one time, I feel that way about Tony Oliva. I, I feel that Oliva was really robbed, almost like Bobby Orr was robbed of some prime years in ice hockey. I thought Tony Oliva was one of the greatest players I'd ever seen. And, I agree, yeah. but injuries are part of sports. Yep. And uh, you know, a lot of guys bound for the Hall of Fame yep. meet up with an injury, or in Thurman's case, the most horrific injury. Yeah, I feel similarly about Tony Oliva that I feel that way about Don Mattingly. You know, I think Mattingly was clearly on a path toward uh, a Hall of Fame career before his back issues yeah. rose up. The interesting thing about Mattingly is that if you look at his career and Kirby Puckett's career, yep. it's like the same career. 
but in reverse. Mattingly's big years came up first, uh-huh. and Puckett, the second half of his career was the big one, and Puckett's in the Hall of Fame. Hey, two more books I want to talk to you about briefly here, and we're talking with the great Marty Appel, who has written over 20 books on baseball, a lot of them about the Yankees, but a lot of them about uh, different things in the game of baseball. You wrote a book in 1992 called Great Moments in Baseball. You wrote it with Tom Seaver. What was working with Tom Seaver like, and how saddened are you by the the condition that Tom apparently is in now dealing with uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah, very sad what he's going through now. And, of course, I express that for not just Tom Seaver, but yep. any family going through it. It's so prevalent, and, you know, we hardly knew the, the word when I was growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, working with him was incredible. I worked with him on a number of occasions. We did two books together. And then when I was producer of the Yankee games on TV, I hired him as an announcer. Um, so a lot of a lot of time spent with Tom. A lot of I'll tell you what my best memory of on the book that you've just cited is we did it on an, two afternoons in his backyard in Greenwich, Connecticut, with mm-hmm. his beautiful wife Nancy keeping our iced tea glasses refilled. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a better day in anyone's yeah, life no. than sitting there and talking baseball on a sunny day in the yeah. backyard? <laughs> yep. We're talking with Marty Appel. Marty, the, another sad story out of a book you wrote. You wrote the book in 1990, the Eric Gregg story, Working the Plate. And I'm guessing the title was sort of a double entendre that he worked behind home plate and yep. he liked to eat a lot. And, oh, yeah. and, of course, he died an untimely death at just the age of 55. Um, what was working with Eric Gregg like? Was he a special person? That was the most fun I ever had doing a book. <clears throat> he was uh, just the joy of life to be around. And um, he was from Philadelphia. We did it in the off season in Philadelphia, driving around to his old neighborhood, meeting his old friends. And uh, <laughs> it was just a a great experience to uh, work with Eric. He may not have been the best umpire in the major leagues, but he was certainly the most fun. All right, Marty, it's our first time having you on the show. I've really enjoyed this chat uh, about the late Don Larson and some of the work you've done in the uh, world of writing books. Uh, Many thanks for joining us today on the Batter Round. Well, thanks for having me. I look forward to being on with you again. All right, thank you. Marty Appel. Again, his book's available. I'm sure if you Google the name Marty Appel, A-P-P-E-L, you'll be able to find those books. Uh, And I think you'll, uh, I I know you'll like some of them. Some interesting, interesting books written by the great Marty Appel. Um, The Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Craig Heist and I do the live spots for the Costas Inn every Saturday here on the show. Uh, again, located 4100 North Point Boulevard, live steam crabs, great crab cakes, great crab soup. Uh, the live steam crabs, though, you do have to call in advance to pr- reserve them. 410-477-1975 is the phone number. A lot of specials throughout the week. Crab cake night is Monday night. Tuesday night is rib night. Wednesday night is steak night. Uh, 
and that is combined and partnered with half price bottles of wine on Wednesday nights and Thursday night is Lobster Night. Saturday night, Pete and his staff, his amazing kitchen staff, uh, they come up with a whole host of different specials on Friday night. The Costas Inn opens seven days a week for lunch, dinner, and sort of after uh, words. Great place to watch sports. There's live music there several nights of the week. The Costas Inn, one of my favorite places. Try it out. Tell Nick and Pete that Stan the Fan sent you. Pizza Blitz, the favorite pizza place of offensive lineman Bradley Bozeman and his wife Nikki invites you to try all of their Italian specialties. Pizza Blitz makes their entire menu with classic Italian family recipes. The dough and everything else is made fresh every day. Pizza Blitz, located in Quarry Lake, is the perfect family stop for great pizza as well as incredible wings, subs, and salads. You can even BYOB. Pizza Blitz is located at 2622 Quarry Lake Drive, just inside the Beltway. See the full menu at pizzablitzquarrylake.com. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back as we'll be with you to react immediately during and after every Baltimore football game this season. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime with various guests joining him the moment the game wraps up, including the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Pressbox's Ken Zalis, and Eric Arditi from Barstool Sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day is made possible by great partners. Costa in Wise Market, Glen Burnie Transmissions, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Like Pressbox on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sports And watch Project Game Day there every game day this season. Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirts, which recognize how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will you be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's bozemanshirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying with the Most Valuable Protectors. The latest edition of Pressbox is available now, and it's our very special Pressbox Best of 2019 issue presented by Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as Athlete of the Year, and Bill Dean honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sports Person of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers a better way to tailgate with football and nuggets. You can now pick up a 30-count Chick-fil-A nugget in a football-shaped container, and if it would be helpful, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can half-cook it, leaving you the opportunity to heat it the rest of the way just in time for your party. And now Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers their three-cheese mac and cheese. Cheddar, Parmesan, and Romano combine in this classic classic side baked fresh in the restaurant download the chick-fil-a app place your order and pile up chick-fil-a bonus points good for free food chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard call steve if you'd like your party catered by chick-fil-a 410-931-0031 chick-fil-a nottingham square Back on the bat around uh, Paul Valley. Paul, two weeks into working on the bat around, you enjoying it? 
Yeah, I, I love working in sports, so this is right up my alley. All right. Well, you're doing a good job. I appreciate you coming in on Saturday mornings. Absolutely. My pleasure. And tell people where they can see you uh, working sometimes. All right. So you can come up to... Um, we'll give a free plug. <laughs> you can come up to my restaurant. In, uh, not my restaurant. The restaurant I work at up at uh, Wegmans, by Wegmans in Abingdon. It's called Baco Italian and Wine Bar. Come on up, get some good Italian food, and ask for Paul. I'll take good care of you. All right. You say it's as good of Italian food as you're going to get. Uh, it's as good as my grandmother's, and my grandmother's the top Italian cook I've ever known in 35 years. All so right. Sounds good. Paul, thanks. I'll see you next week. All right, sounds good. Uh, to see that's going to wrap up the show. I, I didn't do a good job today of one thing. Uh, I like to mention during the show to please like and share the show. And, Paul, that's one thing I want to ingrain in you. We need to work that into our dialogue. Uh, like and share the show. It really helps us build up a cum. It's not too late to do that. If you're watching right now on Facebook Live, like the show, share the show. Again, Glenn Clark, Monday through Friday, 10 to 12. We'll be back next Saturday um, on uh, pressboxonline.com slash radio. And have a great rest of your weekend. Who you like in the games today, Paul? Um, it's the AFC today, Buffalo right? Buffalo at Houston and then Tennessee at New England. Uh, Buffalo, their wins are against teams that are combined 58 and 102. I'm taking the Texans. And, really? Okay. And I'm taking, even though I think the Titans can beat them, I'm taking the Patriots just because of the pedigree. Okay. I like Tennessee and Buffalo to win the two games. I like both road teams to win the games. Something to talk about next week. All right. That's it. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy your uh, football the rest of the weekend.